So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. I encourage you to go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you have a smart device to follow along on our Version Live event, there's lots of uh, extra notes and some passages there that we'll refer to. They'll be on the screen, but for you to be able to take home and consider and think over later, I'd encourage you to follow along that way. If you don't have a Bible, the Bibles and the chairs are our gift to you, uh, and we'll be on page 866 of that Bible. So... Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, and, and just let me kind of set some groundwork for where we're headed today as we, as we study this passage. And really the primary point that, that I'm going to be dealing with or trying to bring out to you is this. Every Christian, every Christian, not, not some, not certain ones, every Christian that Jesus has called to come to him is sent by Jesus to go tell others to come to Jesus. Every Christian is sent by Jesus to go tell others to come to Jesus. When you join a church, you are not just joining a social club. You are joining a mission team. That's the idea of, of church membership. A church. Now, now, I'm not saying this is this way in every church. A lot of churches treat this just as a social a time to interact socially. But, but the call to join the church, to be a part of God's people, is the same call for us to go and reach more of God's People, we're not just a book club getting together and talking about our book. We've got a great book. It's the best one ever written. I would encourage you to spend time studying and talking about it with your friends. But if we, all we are is a book club, we have missed the point. It's time for us to quit acting as if we're just a book club or a social club and begin to realize that we are called to be more like a Navy SEAL team that's been sent deep behind enemy lines. To reach into this place, this world that God has determined he is going to work and redeem and save. And some, like the Apostle Paul, this happens immediately. Remember Paul's story? You can read about it in Acts. Paul was, Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. He was on the way to, to, to uh, uh, arrest and, and seek to get rid of Christians altogether. He was seeking to hurt them, imprison them, and, and just get them to quit being Christians. And Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse. As he's sitting there on the ground, Jesus blinds him with a light, physically blinds his eyes, while at the same exact time opening his spiritual eyes to see and understand the truth. And Paul becomes a believer, and he's sent then on to Damascus as a blind man. They lead him into Damascus, and he's there, and he's waiting. And Ananias, who's been sent by God, shows up and says, Hey, now you can see. Paul can see, and it tells us, that in the days that he remained in Damascus, immediately he began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. This man, who had been all of his life being prepared for this moment, as he studied the Old Testament and studied the law and was a Pharisee, this man who was saved was immediately sent to begin to preach the gospel. The demon we studied, or the demon-possessed man, I'm sorry, the demon-possessed man that we studied just a couple of weeks ago. Jesus steps out onto the beach, heals this demon-possessed man. A legion of demons exists within him. They're sent away. They, run into, they go into the pigs. The pigs die. This man lives. And in the time that it took for those who witnessed it to go to the village and get people and bring them back, this man sat with Jesus. Maybe an hour. Maybe two. Maybe an afternoon. And when Jesus steps in the boat because they send him away, because they reject him, this man, this, this, this freshly delivered man is like, hey, let me go with you. And Jesus says, no, you go and you tell people all that God has done for you. Immediately he is sent. Immediately he is commissioned to the mission. He's told to go and tell the gospel. I think, though, I think, though, that most of us are probably more like the apostles. Most of us are not immediately sent. I think that there's a process, a, 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 a process by which God begins to equip us and train us and prepare us. He draws us in. He allows us to experience him. He, he, he teaches us. He changes our perspectives. He, he cuts off the old person and, and begins to instill the new within our hearts so, so that it begins to be the one that, that lives and rules our life. But there will come a point where he calls all of us who have come to go. Regardless of whether we're see, see, regardless of whether it's a process or regardless of whether it's 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 an immediate sending or not, there is one universal truth, 
And, and we studied it a couple of weeks ago. Luke 8, 16 says, No one, after lighting a light, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. God did not put his light in you. He did not wake you up. He did not give you life so that you could just sit here and, and live in this world seeking after your own desires and, and, and making yourself comfortable until he comes back to get you. He did not save us so that we'd just be a group of people who gather as a book club, as important as the book is. He's commissioned us as a, as a body of believers, as a team of missionaries, to live behind enemy lines for the glory of God, the advancement of his gospel, which ultimately is for our good and the good of the world. That's ultimately what we're going to be dealing with in these first nine verses. So let's just read them. We'll read through verse 6, deal with that, and then we'll close out with verses 7 through 9. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Anybody signing up for that? Like, go and do this, but don't take anything with you. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Don't be looking around for a bunch of different places to stay. Don't, don't be looking around for a place that feels better to you. If they take you in, you stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now that sounds kind of harsh to us because we don't like to be that kind of offensive. Like we don't want to be that direct. But in this act that demonstrates a level of judgment on these people, this is also an act of mercy. Because if we leave people in this place where they just feel comfortable and at ease in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their rejection of the gospel, then we have not done them any Good. Jesus says, leave them, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. This judgment, whether we like to think of it like this or not, is an act of mercy. He goes on, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So they went and did what Jesus commissioned them, commanded them to do. The ascending of the twelve marks a shift in Jesus' work and his ministry. To this point, Jesus has been the one doing all the miracle Working. He's the one who's exercised power. He's the one that was present and, and spoke words that healed or put a hand on someone and healed them or raised a dead man from a, a dead person from the grave. He's the one that had done this work. He's the one who taught. He was the one who people were coming to hear because he spoke with authority and he spoke truth that, that they longed to hear. He was the one. But in this passage, we see Jesus shift this and he, and he takes it and he says, okay, all that I've been doing... Now you go and you do it. He begins to share and he begins to spread it out. And if you think about this, all, 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 this, this came and this, 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 they, they came to this point, this, this moment where these 12 men were sent to do Jesus' work. It was a critical moment for them. But it didn't happen overnight. It's not like they met Jesus this day. In fact, if you have been here through our series in Luke, you'll remember that, that there was a moment in time. We don't know how long it had been, but there had been a moment in time before when Jesus was, was in, uh, in Galilee and he was in Capernaum and he walks up on, on James and John and Peter and Andrew and, and, and he gets into their boat and they take him out and he says, put your nets down. And they're like, well, we not caught anything all night, so, so why would we do that? And he says, do it. And they do it and they catch this miraculous catch of fish and they're astonished. Their boats are, their, their nets are breaking. Their boats are sinking. And they get back to the beach and he says, now you leave everything. Come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You see, there was a moment where he said, come follow me and this is what I'm going to do. But he didn't immediately make them fishers of men. There was a process that they entered into. Matthew, when also known as Levi in the, in the book of Luke, Matthew's a tax collector, sitting in his tax booth, collecting taxes, ripping off the Jews and patting his own pockets with their money. And Jesus stands in front of him and says, come and follow me. You leave this behind and you come and follow me. And Matthew did it. 
We don't know how long it was between that moment and this moment. We don't know how long it was between that moment and the moment where Jesus goes up onto the mountain and, and he withdraws from the crowds. He had gathered a huge following. He gathered a huge following. There's people from all over that says multitudes of people. And they were coming to hear him speak, to hear him teach and work miraculous things. They were there for Jesus. He goes up on the mountain, he withdraws, and he prays all night long. All night long. Like he didn't sleep at all. He prayed all night. And he comes down from the mountain. He's, all the crowd is there. All these people are gathered. And he comes down, and from this multitude, he calls 12, and he says, Now you're going to be my apostles. We don't know how much time between the time that he called these first disciples to the moment he calls out these 12 to be apostles, to begin to lead his mission. And we don't know how long from the time that he called them and said, now you're going to be apostles to this moment. That he's now saying, okay, now I'm going to give you power and authority and you're to go to preach and to heal. And I bring this up and I want you to see this because I want you to see the process. I want, you to, I want you to see that not everybody is expected to get up and run immediately and, and have everything figured out and go get it done immediately. We can't use the process as, a, and as, as an excuse to sit in silence, to say nothing. But brothers and sisters, we have to give room for, for new believers, for those who are coming in. We, we've got to give them room to grow into the going. We've got to give them room to grow, to be, to be worked on by Christ, to be, to be sanctified to some degree, to be equipped and trained and made ready for this. It's one of the things we do as a church. We, we just started just in September a, a series called Equip Cohorts, and, and, and we, our very first group has been working through resources, resources that are going to help them to understand who they are in Christ, how they're going to, uh, resources that are going to train them to study the Bible on their own, resources that will help them to, to evangelize and speak the gospel to other people. This will be something that continues on. And in just a few, a few weeks, I'm going to be calling, and in fact, I guess in some way I'm calling now, that I'm going to be enlisting people for the second round. Don't come talk to me. I'll call you. Don't call me. I'll tell you when we're ready. But no, it's coming. As a people of God, this is something we should be helping one another get ready to do. We're working out this process, being agents of the Holy Spirit, seeing people equipped, seeing people trained, seeing people called to follow, come in to find their place of service, and then ultimately sent out to be missionaries in the, in, in the work that God has given us to do. And that's exactly what we saw happen with these apostles, and I think that's probably the story of most of the people in this room. And here we are at this point, this point where the apostles are being sent. He calls them together and he prepares them, he commissions them to go. And here's, here's the thing. As much as we need to give people room to grow, we need to be willing to call one another to go. There's got to be a point at some point. And so for some of you, some of you, I'm, I'm trying to give you some permission today. I'm trying to give you some room to, to step into the process and to begin to grow so that you can be prepared to go. I'm not meaning to rhyme all these things. It just happens that they did this. So I didn't plan that. I'm just kind of, I'm a poet. And now I know it. <laughs> so we got to give them, we got to give you that place. But for those of you that have been believers for a long time, and I'm guessing that's probably most of the people in this room, I'm, I'm calling you. There's no reason for us not to be going. There's no reason for us not to be fulfilling the mission that God has given us to, to do. See, on the other side of ensuring that we give people time to grow into this going, We've got to know that there's a time coming that we are called to go. We are called to actually do it. And here's the thing. I want to, I want to kind of fast forward and kind of foreshadow this a little bit, let you see what's coming. Jesus didn't do this when the apostles were ready. Like they are not a people who are already doing everything right and have everything figured out. They are not a people who firmly believe everything that they're saying. 
It's evident in the, in the stories and in the texts ahead. They're not guys that have all their I's dotted and their T's crossed. They are not ready yet to lead the church. They are not ready to be apostles that are going to lead the mission on their own in the absence of Christ. And we got to see this because here's the reality. You're not ever going to feel like you're ready. Who feels confident in this? Who feels ready to go and do this? Who doesn't deal with fear when they think about stepping out to actually accomplish it? See, I think we need to see this. I think we need to understand this. Because as much as we need to give people room to grow into this, we need to recognize that in doing this, that's where we find that we grow into being able to do it. See, what I mean is, is that, that, that the going is as much about us growing as it is the world believing. See, God's kingdom doesn't just need to advance in the world. It needs to advance in our heart. It needs to advance in us. It needs to rule us more. It needs to be built out more. We need to trust him more completely. In fact, I would go so far as to say the reason we don't go is because we don't fully believe. Really, there are two perspectives in this. There are many of us are many of us in this place that we are we, we have grown fat with knowledge because we've gathered in our book clubs and we have studied the word. And I'm glad you have knowledge. But we've grown fat because when we've heard it, we've not got up and done it. And that's what Jesus said that we are to do. Hear and do. The reality is, is that much of the position and much of the standing of our nation, much of the standing of the church in our culture is not simply because the, the culture has gone crazy, but because we withdrawn and lived in fear. And rather than going and doing what Jesus has called us to do and preaching the message that God gave us to preach and living the lives that God called us to live, We've begun to live more like a social club than a Navy SEAL team sent into enemy lines. After today, we're not allowed that anymore. We weren't really allowed it before because this isn't the first time this message has been preached. We're not allowed it anymore. See, every Christian, every Christian that Jesus has called to come to him is sent by him to go tell others to come to him. And right here, we gain a glimpse of what it looks like for this burgeoning force, this, this military, this, this missional force that he is putting together. We get a glimpse of what it looks like to see it happening, to begin to happen. And from it, we can draw principles that help us today, that encourage us today, that, that, that strengthen us today. And we want to be careful because as we work through this, not all of these are universal principles. I'll point one out uh, later on. But, but we, we can't take everything so hard and fast, literal, that we, we, we start building out things that, that Jesus doesn't mean here. But there are some universal principles that apply today, just as much today as they did to these apostles. And the truth is, not only did he apply them to the apostles, but he lived in them first. See, what he's calling these apostles to do, and by extension calling us to do, he has already done. He has already left everything behind and emptied himself and taken on the form of a servant. Philippians chapter 2 lets us know that. He has already gone preaching in power and authority, preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel, healing people of demons and disease. He has already done these things. He, what I'm trying to help you see is that Jesus is sending us in the same way he was sent. He's not asking us to live a life that he has not already lived. 
And because he's already lived it, we can be certain that it is what he's called us to do. And as he tells these apostles, he is calling them to just simply follow him in it. And brothers and sisters, he's calling us to follow him as well. And the first principle that I would point out is in verse 1, he says, go in power and authority. He tells him, he calls them together, and he says, go in power and authority. And he gives them this power and authority to, to go and excise demons and heal sickness. He's like, I'm giving you this authority. And the reality is this is a beautiful moment because this is the same power and authority we have seen Jesus working, seen Jesus using. And it's important that we see and understand that he has both. Power, the ability to do the things, to accomplish the things that we're to accomplish. And, 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 and authority is the very right to use the power we've been given. It's, it's, it's a both and thing. Power without authority leads to abuse. But authority without power is impotent. I got all the right to, to demand people to do things. No, not specifically, as an illustration. I could demand a lot of things. I could just say, I've got the authority. I could drum it up and say, I've got authority. And you've got to do what I say. But if I've got no power to carry that out, no power to back it up, then it doesn't matter. Jesus had both. He had the power to accomplish his mission, and he had the authority to, to, to say what his mission was. And, and we've seen him already doing that. I mean, most recently in, in Luke chapter 8, he exercised power and authority over creation when he calmed the storm. He exercised power and authority when, when he told the demons what to do. When, when he exercised power and authority over disaster, over demons, over disease, and over death. We saw him do that. We witnessed it in the text. And now he's saying, hey... You go and do this with this power and authority. In, in, in essence, what he's doing is he's giving them the key to the car and the license to drive. And you might think, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I get how he's sending them. He gave them power to do something. Like they could heal people and they could cast out demons. If Jesus had show up and give me some power and authority, then I might be out there telling. I might be out there going like they went. See, I, th I think this, this gets to the heart of why we don't go. Because we've misunderstood the power and authority we've been given. We don't recognize the power and authority that he's bestowed upon us. Brothers and sisters, you have been given power. You've been given power in the gospel. The message of, uh, of the completed work of Jesus' death and resurrection. It is powerful. Romans 1.18, or I'm sorry, 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. So here's this power of God that brings life to where death is. It, it dispels the power of death. Where is your sting, death? Where is it at? Where's, where's your power? The gospel overwhelms it, it overcomes it, it dispels, it dissipates it. It is power to be able to know and hear the gospel. There is power in the message of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the word of the cross is folly. The word of the cross, just in case you, you need to know. The word of the cross is the gospel, the message of the cross. It's the gospel. It's folly to those who are perishing. So certainly there's going to be people out there that you're going to share the gospel with, that you're going to proclaim the gospel to, and they're going to say, you're a fool. You believe in a man who was dead and now raised? You believe that you're a sinner that needs to be saved? You're a fool. It's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is not simply empty words that you hope someone would agree with. There is power in the message of the cross. Power to bring life to where death is. Power to implant life in the midst of death. Shine light in the midst of darkness. There is power in these words. And you have it. You have it. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have an understanding of what he has done, you have been given this power. You have power. And brothers and sisters, you have been given authority. By the one who has all authority. And this is vitally important. 
See, if anybody else had told these, told, told these disciples to go or these apostles to go and, and here's power and here's authority, but this person didn't have authority, then he'd be no, he, he would be in no way qualified to give them power. The one in all authority is the one who's now giving authority and power. And we see that Matthew 28, 18 through 19. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has all authority. He answers to no one else. He's the one who claims and or who makes claims and who makes commands and expects everyone else to fall into line with them. He's the one who owns all authority. All authority that's given is in some way extended to or extended from. I'm sorry, it's extended from him. No one can have authority in this world unless it is given by the one who owns it all. So he says, I have all authority because he does. Whatever words come next or command, we're expected to obey. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. It's such an important concept that every gospel writer brings us to this place where we see Jesus send his people to make disciples. There's very few things that happen in all four gospels. This is one. We don't have time to research them or read them all right now. Let me just give them to you. Write them down. Go look them up. Here in Matthew 28, 9, or 18 through 20. Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. And Luke saw it as so important that he didn't just capture it in his gospel account. He captured it in his second volume, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Here's what I think, and since Jesus and since, since God is the one who's inspiring Scripture, I don't think just that the gospel writers thought it was important. I think God thinks it's important. He has the authority, and now has said, "You go." You know what that means? He's given you permission. He's given you the right to, to go and preach. You don't need anyone else to say that you're allowed to do it. You don't need permission from anyone else. You have been given the right to go and preach the gospel by the highest authority in all of creation. This is why the, the apostles in, in Acts chapter 4, this is why when they faced the Sanhedrin, so they'd been preaching and teaching the, the gospel. They'd been preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. They'd been preaching that he had died and rose again. And when they did that, the, the Jews, I mean, people were coming and they were believing. So much so that on Pentecost, 3,000 people believed in one day, in one sitting. Weeks later, months later, the, the, the church had grown from 3,000 to 5,000 men. Just men. We don't know how many women. We don't know how many children. We men. There was 5,000. It was growing at an astronomical rate. And so the Sanhedrin, they're like, whoa, man, you can't do this anymore. The Jewish council, they're like, well, you, you can't continue to do this. So they arrest them and they bring them in and they put them on trial. And, and, and when it's all said and done, they're like, oh, we can't, we, we can't imprison them because people like them too much. And so they tell them, we're going to let you go, but you got to quit teaching and preaching about Jesus. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. Who are we supposed to obey? You or God? You see, their commission was given to them by the highest authority in the land. There is no authority that can come to you and tell you not to preach it. That's why when I went to China several years ago, I didn't share this story earlier in the first service, but, but you're lucky enough to get to hear it. When I went to China several years ago, people were like, oh, what are you going to do? They arrest people for that. Okay. Well, isn't it illegal? You shouldn't be going and breaking the law. I don't need permission to preach the gospel in any place. You don't need permission from any man to preach the gospel. You don't need a government that says it's okay or thinks it's all, uh, that, 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 that sees its value. You don't need a constitution that says you have the right to free speech. You don't need judges sitting on a bench that make you feel okay about it. You don't need a relationship with somebody that says, hey, since you're my friend, tell me about your Jesus. God has given you all the authority you need and he has backed it up with power in his message. So go make disciples. 
Every Christian has called to this. It's not just my job. Although I left a life pursuing wealth and status and comfort because I believe it's our job together. Brothers and sisters, every Christian is called to this. Every Christian that has been commissioned by Jesus has been given both power and authority from Jesus for the calling of others to come to Jesus. You have what you need. And today, whether you realize it or not, you are being commissioned to go. There's no reason to fear because you have been given power and you have been given authority. And to not go you need to realize is actually to disobey. So go in power and with authority. Second, we go, we show, and we tell the gospel. We see it in verse 2. And sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, to tell it, to say it, to preach it. We cannot go and simply live good lives and think that a world that's lost and blind to the truth is ever going to understand who we are or what we are about. At some point, if you're not going to say it, you need to bring them here and let me tell them. Please. Their lives depend on it. But it must be said. It must be spoken. And it's not, he doesn't tell them to go and, and tell them about their political views. And he doesn't tell them to go and tell them the five ways that they can have a happy family. He doesn't tell them to go and say, hey, here's how you fix your marriage. It's not that those things are wrong or even bad to engage in and talk about. What the world needs from us more than they need to know our opinions about things is the truth about the gospel. The truth about the kingdom that has come and is coming. Brothers and sisters, this is the objective. This is the reason you have power. This is the reason you have authority. Not to go and make people like you. Not to go and build a kingdom for yourself. In fact, we're going to see that it's, it's not what it's all about at all. To go and proclaim the gospel. And not just proclaim it, but show it. He says, proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 6, they, that Luke equates that with the preaching of the gospel. He says, proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. There should be not just a word ministry, but a deed ministry. We see this in Jesus' life. Word and deed. He was preaching the gospel. Luke highlights this regularly over and over. He highlights this. And then he highlights the, the ministry, the, the miracles that he performed, the sick people, the, the blind people, the lame people, the deaf people, the demon-possessed people, the dead people that he raised. Not only was there a word ministry, there was a deed ministry. But beyond that, we see it in his life of obedience to his father. A desire for his father's glory over his own. An obedience to the law of God. He lived a distinctly holy life. The power of God was evident in him, not just because of the miracles that he performed, but because of the life, the perfect, sinless life that he lived. Every Christian, brothers and sisters, in the same way, Jesus did this himself and he sent the apostles to, to follow in his example. Every Christian has been commissioned by Jesus to go in word and in deed to make the gospel known. He commanded the, the 12 first and then and his, his passed on to us. Matthew 28, 20. We, we, we saw the first two verses of the Great Commission just a minute ago. It goes on. It's, so go make disciples, baptizing them, in the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. And he says in Matthew 28, 20, the very next verse, teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Well, are they not commanded right here to go and to preach and to heal, to preach and word and deed ministry? James 1, 27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To do a work that reaches to the oppressed and the marginalized. 
and to live a holy, righteous, just, merciful, loving, gracious life. Both our words and our deeds. If you have to err on one and people aren't going to be able to see your life because you just met them and now you're sharing the gospel with them, don't ever let yourself be be disregarded or rejected because you're a jerk. You always strive to, to, to let the gospel fruit be evident. But if you're going to err because you sit down on the air, next, uh, in the airplane next to somebody that, that, that you're going to share the gospel with, they may not get to know you as a person. But in that time, you live and you let the gospel fruit be born out of your life and you tell the gospel. They may not see all your works and they may not know you as a person, but at least they will have heard the message. In his commentary on Luke's gospel, Norville Gildenheis says, we must go into the world and one, preach the kingdom of God. That's our commission. That's what we've been sent to do. Summon mankind to the realization that his divine and saving sovereignty has been fully manifested in the advent, passion, and triumph of Christ and that, and that they must repent so that they may, to his honor, share in the wealth of his mercy as he even now imparts to every member of his kingdom and as he will fully impart it fully at the end of the age. So one, preach the kingdom and call people to repent to enter the kingdom. Two, he says, we must continue his works of mercy by working also for the deliverance of mankind from the physical need through poor relief work, care for orphans, hospital services, especially in the mission field, institutions for the blind, prayers for the sick, work among prisoners, and other undertakings in the service of suffering humanity. Brothers and sisters, we've we got to see this. We need to understand this, that, that sin has not just condemned people for eternity. It is crushing them today. And when we step out and we preach the gospel, we bring power, we bring an ability, we bring a message that isn't just about getting you saved, but gives you peace and mercy today. How desperately our world needs to hear this. How desperately our world needs to not just hear it from us, but see it in us. We should be both outraged about abortion and the number of babies that are slaughtered. This should, this should hurt us. It should break us. While we actively are involved in ministry, ministry that reduces it, seeks to end it, and at the same time seek to minister to those who have endured it. You think the people who walk through abortion are just callous and heartless and not affected? While we should stand opposed to it, we should be reaching out to people who are so ruled by sin that they would think that they could do this. Why would, be, why would we be offended? Why wouldn't we look at them with compassion and pity? So dark, so, so blind to the truth that the they could elevate themselves over another human being. We should be stepping in to mer provide mercy and relief. But we can't do this at the same time as disregard the lives of the oppressed and the marginalized due to some racism or classism or sexism or any other ism. Well, I love this. And I don't love this. That's the wrong way to say what I'm about to say. I think it's evident in what's going on in the political world right now between liberals and conservatives. Conservatives are all pro-life, man. I'm voting pro-life. Like, that's number one. But very few conservatives are talking about the marginalization of people because of their race or their sex. Liberals, on the other hand, are all about, hey, let's control guns and let's keep people from getting shot at the same time. They're saying, hey, let's not worry about the millions upon millions of children that have been killed in the womb. Brothers and sisters, in the gospel, these things find common ground and a common solution. It should be a common drive for God's people to bring the gospel. Not, it's not just in word. Yes, in word. Definitely in word, but also in Indeed. So we go. We go in power and with authority. We go 
preaching the gospel and showing the gospel, telling the gospel and showing the gospel. We go trusting that God will provide. Verse 3. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor brag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. I mean, that's a pretty high call. Now, this is the place. We don't, want, we don't want to get too literal about this because here later in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is going to say, hey, you remember that time I sent you and told you don't bring anything? Did you lack anything? They're like, oh, no, we had everything we needed. They had the gospel. They had the power. They had the authority. They had everything they needed. He says, well, now pack a bag. Bring some cash. Make sure you got some food. And if you got extra tunics, go and sell one so that you can carry a sword with you. You know, Luke 22, I think, is right around verse 38. So, so we don't want to be too hard and fast and literal about this because it's not a universal principle. There's a specific reason in this time, in this place, that God is, or, or Jesus is telling these men to do this. But there is a principle that does apply, and it is, I think, to, for us to learn to rely fully on God. For us to grow in our belief, again, I think this is the reason we don't go is because we don't fully believe. We don't fully believe that the gospel is powerful enough. We don't fully believe that we have the authority to do this. We don't fully believe that the preaching of the gospel and the work of gospel ministry is is what the world needs or even wants. They don't even know they want it. And we've got to learn to go trusting to provide that God go trusting that God will provide. He will make sure we have what we need. But beyond that, we've got to be a people willing to give up the pursuits of selfish agendas and give up our own desires. We've got to die to ourselves a little bit. We see this exemplified in the passages that as it goes on here in just a few verses, Jesus is going to tell them to follow him. They must pick up their cross and follow him. He's going to say, I'm going to die. And hey, you've got to be willing to die. And later he's going to say, there's nothing that can be prioritized above this. You go trusting fully that God will provide, that he is supplying this mission Every Christian that has been commissioned to a mission that prioritizes, every Christian has been commissioned to a mission that prioritizes God's kingdom more than their own. Not only do we wrestle with gathering in our book club and not ever going and doing anything with what we're learning, we wrestle with being tempted and distracted by the desires of our flesh and, and and the temptations of the world. So we strive after our own comfort, after our own security, after, after our own provision. Seeking to make sure that we have what we want. That's not what we've been called to, brothers and sisters. We've been called to go trusting that God provides. I like what Kent Hughes points out about this. It speaks to a lot of different things. He points out comfort. He says, comfort seekers never have never done anything for Christ and his kingdom. Neither have security seekers. Neither have approval seekers. Neither have people that, that long for their, their reputation before men long before they are, are more than they long for a reputation before God. Comfort seekers have never done anything for Christ and his kingdom. A committed life is an uncomfortable life. This is the mission we've been given. It's what we've been called to above everything else. Second Timothy, Paul is writing his last letter. He's writing and he's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You've got to be strengthened in the grace because you're about to share in the suffering, right? You've got to, to see that Paul is handing off the mission. This is what I've done now. This is what you're to do. You go and you replicate it and give it to people who will replicate it. And you can see the pattern of discipleship being handed off and handed down. And 2,000 years later, I'm standing here talking to you as one who is, is the fruit, is the, is the result of the work that Paul did and then Timothy did and then one did behind Timothy and one did behind him and one did behind him. And now here I am calling you to this same thing. 
Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Share in his sufferings. Listen, verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We are soldiers. More a Navy SEAL team sent behind enemy lines in a book club called together. Every, every Christian has been commissioned to a mission that prioritizes God's kingdom more than their own. Jesus set this, this example. He set this example. He's the one that, that, that showed us what it looked like. He lived. and, and it, He wasn't getting rich. I mean, he was born into a poor family that lived in a poor village. And then he was a carpenter. And then he walked away from the family business. And it appears based on the, the testimony or the, the records, the gospel records, that his mission, his work was funded by people who God sent along. And then all those multitudes that came just extolling him and, and shouting about how great he was and, and pressing in to get to see him, all of those same crowds would eventually turn on him. And the same people who one day were saying, hey, you're awesome, started saying, hey, let's crucify you. He passed that on to the apostles. He would tell them to pick up their cross and follow him. He would tell them to not prioritize anything else above him. He would call them to live faithfully because God is going to take care of his own. It may not be the way they want to be taken care of. It may not be the level of, or standard of living they'd like to be in. And it may mean that we don't live as long as we'd like to live. But we can go preaching and proclaiming the gospel in power, with authority, in word and in deed. Knowing that God is going to protect us. Go. Knowing that some will receive and others reject. The proclamation of the gospel will always have one of two outcomes. Most people you preach to will not believe. It's the truth. Wide is the path that leads to hell. That means there's a lot of people going down it. Narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. Jesus is that gate. The vast majority of people that we preach to will not receive the message. They will reject it. Rejection is still a response. And for those people, we don't walk away and leave them comfortable in their sin. We give them the full gospel message that lets them know if they reject it, they are, they are on their own determining to live without hope. In a sense, we're dusting off our feet and letting them know the judgment that is to come. That is mercy. Doesn't seem like it. But what if you never said to someone who was important to you that judgment was coming, even though you knew it was coming? That's not very merciful. That's not very caring and compassionate. The truth is, though, and the, and the great news is, some will receive. Some will invite you in. And you will be able to take, take, take them on and teach them more and show them greater things. So that one day they don't just become points of mission, but partners in mission. This is why we continue to go to Senegal. Because as we went, the first time we went, there's people that asked us in. And there were people that believed. And they were like, yeah, we believe this message. Would you stay with us? Would you teach us? Well, we can't stay, but we'll be back. We have a responsibility to these new believers in the faith to go and tell them so long as we have breath in our lungs, we have a responsibility not just to see them become believers, but to see these new believers established as a church. That they too can then be equipped and made ready. That they too can then turn and go. Go knowing this. Be encouraged by it. Don't be defeated. Yes, some will reject, but others, some will receive. This is the truth of the gospel. We can go knowing that this is the case. Let me close just by touching on these last two verses, in, the last three verses, seven through nine. 
Luke continues, now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening. So the apostles go out. They are now lengthening or, or expanding Jesus' reach through their ministry, through their preaching and healing. Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. He's talking about John the Baptist. But some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? As the apostles were out ministering, as they were out teaching, as they were out working miracles, they weren't calling attention to themselves. They were talking to people about Jesus, and they were telling people that Jesus had come, God's kingdom had come, and Jesus was the Savior. Such that when, when people heard it, they sought out Jesus. And John, he, Herod's no different. He says, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. He sought to see Jesus. Every Christian has been called to this mission. Every Christian that Jesus has called to come to him is sent by, by him to go to tell others to come to him. And, and, and so just let me... Let me just ask this question. I won't, I won't say another thing. Who is seeking to see Jesus? Because you have stood up and gone and answered his call. Who is seeking Jesus? Because your gospel witness, your gospel proclamation, and your gospel living. have given them a desire to see the man that you represent. Let's pray. Father, I know, I, I know that this is heavy. I know that there's a difficulty in it even a challenge. I, I feel my flesh raising up against and seeking to make excuse against. Would you help us to see? Would you help us to see our calling and understand our commission to go? making disciples everywhere we are, seeking to proclaim the gospel and seeking to live the gospel so that people are encountering its power and its authority. Help us to trust you in this. Help us to grow in our trust through this. And as we go, as we live as a people called to your mission, as we go, Father, would you allow us to celebrate the fruit of that work? Celebrate the, the lives saved and the, and the people disconnected from your church reconnected. And to see your kingdom advance, not just in this world, but over our hearts and lives. Would you help us? Would you do these things? I plead with you, Father, to encourage us, embolden us, and bear your fruit through us. In Jesus' name, amen.